African countries. Well, we turn to the passage that was read earlier, this passage from First Peter and chapter 1 and then into chapter 2. I want to draw your attention particularly to verse 2 and 3 of chapter 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now you may recall two years ago when I came to represent TBS, I spoke from Jeremiah 23 verse 29, and it contains two figures of speech that describe for us the scriptures. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and as a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Well, I won't go over what I said on that occasion, but here is another figure of speech for the scriptures, described here as the milk of the word. There's something particularly attracted to me about the letters of Peter. Uh, one reason is this, that I can remember uh, years ago when I was in the motor trade, and uh, if any of you have worked directly with many ungodly people, you know sometimes the, the, it sort of eats into you, the atmosphere of ungodly people, their language, their attitudes, and uh, music with a driving beat and so on, it just sort of eats into you. Well, I remember one morning it seemed particularly bad somehow, and uh, when it came to tea break time, I, I sat down and picked up my Bible and turned to Peter's epistle, and it just seemed like a breath of fresh air. It was like coming to a, a new world, as it were. It reminded me of Paul's comments when he stood before Agrippa and Festus, and he was accused of being mad. He'd shared his testimony with them, and uh, Festus said that Paul was mad. And Paul responded by saying, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. And that really summarizes, I think, for us, Peter's epistle, words of truth and soberness. And that's what impressed me that particular morning at work. And so I often think about this when I turn to Peter's epistle. Maybe another reason why we may feel attracted to this part of the word of God is the fact that we think of Paul, this great man with a massive intellect and a tremendous depth of understanding in spiritual things. And he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. It's sort of a university education in those days, you might say. And here is Peter, a humble fisherman who come to know the Lord, and a man who made lots of mistakes, sometimes was impetuous and so on, but he was genuine. He was a man who really loved the Lord and loved his word. And there's a sense in which perhaps we can identify with Peter in a particular way. So we come to this epistle and uh, these words in particular. I want to notice with you three things from these verses. First of all, we're going to think about newborn babes. And then secondly, these newborn babes thirsting for the word, as it says, desire the sincere milk of the word. And then thirdly, thriving by the word that ye may grow thereby. So newborn babes, it's homely language, isn't it, that Peter uses here. And uh, it's quite possible Peter was a, a family man. We know he was a married man. That is very clear in the scriptures. Quite possibly he was a family man. And uh, was speaking from his own experience. He saw things firsthand for himself in the family home. But it's interesting, isn't it, how the Holy Spirit 
used between 30 and 40 different men to write Holy Scripture, but he used their character traits, he used their way of putting things, and the, their own style is, is different in every case. So Peter doesn't write like Paul, Mark doesn't write like Luke, David didn't write like Solomon or like Moses. You can see something of their individuality in writing the scriptures, but they were all equally inspired by the Holy Spirit. They spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so I think really, in a sense, we're not surprised by this. Uh, the Bible has unity, but not uniformity. It's not all precisely the same way of expressing things, and I'm sure we're very thankful that that is the case. So here we have this very homely turn of phrase regarding the truth. But you may ask the question, how were these believers born again? How were these people made into spiritual babes? What had happened to them? What was the instrument or the means used to bring that about? Well, we're told in verse 23 of the previous chapter, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth for ever. This is the, the chief instrument the Lord uses to bring spiritual life to those dead in trespasses and in sins. And we individually can give our own testimony concerning these things, how the Lord spoke to us and brought life to our soul and awakened us to this newness of life. A mighty revolution takes place in the soul when the new birth is experienced. It's something radical. And that's true whether it's the conversion of a soul of Tarsus, a crisis conversion, and it's equally true of conversions like Lydia or Timothy, much more sort of gentle uh, conversion, you might say, but infusing of life in the soul is the work of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit employs the truth of the Word of God to bring that about. And this was true of believers that are addressed here. Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, quite an extensive area in the Roman Empire. And they had experienced the grace of God in salvation as the new birth had taken place in their souls. And what is the proof of the new birth? Well, look at verse 3. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, that's how you may know. Sometimes believers are tempted on this very point. Do I really have spiritual life? Am I really born again? of God. And the devil has a hand in these things to try and distress and stumble believers. How can we really know we are born again? Well, we've tasted the Lord is gracious. Christ means something to us now. We love him. We want to know more about him. We want to have closer uh, fellowship with him. And the name of Jesus Christ means everything to us. It reminds me of a man many years ago in Eastbourne, uh, in a brethren assembly, and there's a drunk man who came in and went up to this young man, he was a new believer, and this drunk man stared him in the face and said, what does Jesus Christ mean to you? And he replied simply, everything. And that's true, isn't it, of those who really are born again. Christ is all. He's our hope. He's our salvation. He is the one whom we love. He's the chiefest amongst 10,000 and the altogether lovely. Our whole attitude to Christ has changed. Some of us can look back to days when we were brought up to know these things and the name of Jesus Christ was reverenced by us to a certain degree. 
But we wouldn't have said that Christ was precious to us in any personal way, not in those days, but that changes when the grace of God and spiritual life enter the heart. Now we marvel, don't we, when we think of a, a little child being developed in the womb, we think of the amazing events that take place in conception and development through those months in the womb. But we don't just marvel at the physical element of these things, we marvel at the fact that there's life now there where there wasn't before. And likewise in the spiritual realm, we marvel where there's life where there wasn't before. And life always shows itself in one way or another. So these are these newborn babes that Peter is speaking about here. And it's a wonderful thing if we can testify ourselves that at some point in our life, the Lord dealt with us and gave us new life and understanding in spiritual things. Secondly, we notice newborn babes thirsting for the word. And this is the exhortation here. Desire the sincere milk of the word. Well, it's a sure sign of life, isn't it? When people hunger and they thirst, it's true naturally, true of a little child, isn't it? Uh, when a baby's born, sometimes almost immediately they want to suckle. They are hungry as soon as they are born. It's a very natural instinct. And a, a little baby will soon let you know if it's hungry and will not be satisfied with anything else but food. And uh, it's a wonderful thing to see in the natural realm, but how much more so in the spiritual realm. A spiritual hunger and thirst after truth, after righteousness, is a sure sign of life. Now, milk has all the nutrients the little baby needs. And uh, uh, all sorts of research have been done on these things over the years. I won't go into any details regarding these things, but it's amazing, isn't it, how a mother's milk is just what the baby needs, all the right combination of nutrients and so on. But likewise, the Word of God has everything that we need for this life, to be prepared for the life to come. There's nothing left out. It's complete. And we have access to the whole of the Word of God. And you think of the Scriptures, the variety of experiences described, from the deepest soul trouble, what you find in parts of the book of Psalms or the book of Job, and the book of Lamentations, to the, the highest Christian experience, like the Apostle Paul knew, caught up to the third heaven and everything else in between. Whatever experience you may go through spiritually, you will find somewhere in the Word of God, it will speak to you. It will relate to where you are and perhaps will encourage you and help you along in your journey to heaven. And remember the famous words of Paul writing to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, not sinlessly perfect, but matured. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. But you may be slightly puzzled by the word here, sincere milk. Sometimes in the Bible we come across these unusual combinations of words and it makes us stop and think, well, what can that mean? It's good for us when we stop and think about these things and not just read over them. What is meant by sincere milk of the word? Well, it's literally that which is pure 
or genuine or unadulterated. And that's what we need, isn't it? The unadulterated word of God, not just part of the word, not just not word, the words that are maybe poorly translated. We don't want uh, translators introducing their own ideas into the translation, putting their own interpretation or their own particular doctrinal agenda into the translation. We want the pure, unadulterated word of God. That is what TBS aims to produce. We believe God's word is complete and it's pure in the original tongues, Hebrew and Greek, and therefore we look for translators who have those original biblical language abilities that they can translate directly from there into the donor language. When you translate, you always lose something. So if you translate from a translation, you lose even more. Sometimes that's the only way we can translate, maybe from the authorised version, for example, because we don't know anybody in that particular language that knows Hebrew and Greek. But where we do know people with those abilities, that is, of course, the ideal way and approach in translation, because we want the unadulterated Word of God to be published and sent forth to all these various language groups. So then, these newborn babes, we notice them uh, desiring the Word, thirsting for the Word, but then, thirdly, thriving by the Word, that ye may grow thereby. When we provide scriptures for men and women and boys and girls around the world, it's not just a case of providing information. In a sense, that's one aspect of it. We are providing information through the Word, and there's the need to learn God's truth. We want people to be acquainted with the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. But we want people to be fed from the Word, not just learning in a kind of intellectual way. I don't know what you have planned for your meals tomorrow, but if you were to tell me, and I was a dietitian, I could probably write out for you all the nutritional value of the three meals you're going to have tomorrow. But that wouldn't satisfy your hunger, would it? Just information about food. And likewise, it's not enough for people, to, as it were, to have just information imparted to them. They need to feed upon the Word. And in feeding upon the Word, we feed upon Christ who is the Word incarnate. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, the Apostle Paul says. So, feeding upon Christ, who is the bread of life, here you could say he is the milk of life, if you like, milk of the Word, partaking of the fullness of Christ. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. When we feed upon Christ in the Word, we are feeding of that fullness. And that fullness is never being diminished. It's an infinite fullness that will never run dry, always satisfying the desires of the needy and hungry souls. And the grand purpose, of course, is to bring people to maturity. When a baby is born, we, we may gather around and want to get the first sign of this little baby that's been born. And it's delightful, isn't it? But three months later, we expect some change, don't we? Some development, some growth, some acquired ability that wasn't there before. And likewise, where people have been truly born again of the Spirit, newborn babes, there's to be growth. We look for that, don't we? And we are to be aiming for this for ourselves, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, 
Jesus Christ, we may feel our progress is slow sometimes. We have to learn the lessons all over again, perhaps. But nevertheless, the general drift should be progress and going onwards in the things of God, following on to know the Lord more distinctly and more clearly. Occasionally, we hear of non-thriving babies, don't we? And it's a, a great anxiety to parents when the child doesn't seem to be developing, doesn't seem to be gaining any weight or any progress. So it's a great concern. It should be for ourselves a concern when we see others who profess Christ. We want to see them going on in the things of God. The Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 15, he says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. And the point here, of course, is that true spiritual progress is growing in a deeper appreciation of Christ, who he is and what he has done. And these things are not learned in five minutes or five years. It's an ongoing journey of learning and walking with the Lord. Sometimes we learn more in the dark seasons of life, in the valley of the shadow of death. In the trying seasons, we, we learn especially of Christ and what he means and what he has done for us. There's fellowship with Christ in the times of testing and trial. But interestingly, in Ephesians 4, the context here of growing up into Christ is in the context of the Lord giving pastors and teachers to the church. This is one of the grand objectives of Christ giving these gifts to individual local churches that believers through the ministry will grow up into Christ as they hear of him and learn of him and desire him in their hearts. Well, TBS is anxious to get the word of God in its purity and its completeness out to as many people as possible. It's a sobering fact that there are believers who don't have their own Bible in many parts of the world. They have to rely upon their memories. When they are with Christians, when they hear the Bible being read publicly or preached from, they try and store it up in their minds so they can go away with it in their hearts and think about it and muse upon the scriptures because they can't turn to the scriptures like we do. I don't know how many Bibles you have at home. I've got quite a collection. I had my first Bible when I was four years of age. And uh, it may be somewhat like that with you. But we can go to the Word of God any time of the day and night. And there are many believers who can only dream of having such access to the Word of God. So there's a great work yet to be done to provide Bibles in larger quantities, in more language groups than ever before. One thing that fascinates me is how the number of translations TBS is working on just seems to keep increasing. About two years ago, the editorial department said there's about 50 translations under review. Last year, it was 66. This year, it's 78. It just keeps on going on at that rate. So our editorial department are exceptionally busy. They're stretched, really, in trying to keep up with all these different projects. Some of the very early stage, where it's just research being done to see what needs to be provided for these people, what's already available, and how good that is already, before moving on to a direct project stage. But it's a tremendous task. So much yet needs to be done. And we're thankful for the way in which the Lord raises up 
godly people who love the Lord and love the word and have uh, ability in languages and they are prepared to spend their time and exercise their talents in translating the scriptures into the languages of these various groups around the world. We're very thankful then for people like Robert and many others besides who are prepared to do their utmost for the Lord in this important ministry. Well, I appreciate this opportunity of sharing.